the Cannabis Business Coach. Hi, Mike Z here, author of the Cannabis Business Book, and you're listening to the Cannabis Business Coach Podcast, where I chat with and coach the highest performing entrepreneurs in the cannabis industry. Hi, Mike Z is. Hi, Mike Z is. Hi, Mike Z is. The Cannabis Business Coach. Hi, Mike Z here, and on today's episode of the Cannabis Business Coach Podcast, I'm joined by someone who's kind of a big deal. So I'm going to introduce Mr. Sam Gods, the CEO of Connected Cannabis. And prior to that, once upon a time, he was also the co-founder of Box. So I'm super excited to dig in and, and chat with Sam. And Sam, can you do me a favor and just introduce yourself a little more in depth for the folks who may be watching or listening? Yeah, absolutely. Thanks. Thanks, Mike, for having me on. I'm excited to chat today. Um, yeah, so I came from the tech space before coming into cannabis. Uh, came from Box, um, you know, actually dropped out of uh, USC, University of Southern California, um, back in the mid 2000s um, to start Box with three of the friends. Grew it from the four of us over the course of a decade plus to, um, you know, eventually a, a multi-billion dollar public offering, um, thousands of employees worldwide, uh, all kinds of customers all over the world in uh, businesses, governments, and so on, uh, managing their uh, content um, and, and sharing and collaborating online um, in the cloud. And so we kind of we're a big facilitator of, of moving to the cloud for a lot of big businesses um, all over the world. And um, in that, there I led technology, uh, ZB technology for, for many years uh, through the IPO um, and uh, learned a lot about growing businesses, growing teams, uh, managing teams, developing, you know, operational and business processes throughout. Um, and, uh, then took some time off, um, you know, kind of had, had my fill to a certain extent of, of kind of enterprise software as a service, uh, business and, and really wanted to expand my horizons, look for something new, try something different. Um, and I looked at a bunch of different spaces, uh, and companies and industries and, and looked at different things, trying to figure out what I was really passionate about, where I wanted to invest, you know, the next 10 years of my life. Um, and I looked at, uh, yeah, a bunch of different companies and, and spaces and, and personally, um, you know, my entire life, I've been very fascinated and, and really in love with kind of premium consumer products, artisan craft consumer goods, whether it's spirits, wine, coffee, chocolate. I mean, anything you can really nerd out about, I, I fall in love with. Um, I love learning about it. I love understanding the art that goes into it. Um, you know, I, I, I just, I just love that stuff. And, but I had no idea cannabis could be like that until I met Caleb, uh, Caleb counts. Caleb is the, uh, one of the co-founders of Connected Cannabis. Um, he started the company way back in 2009, um, where he opened uh, the first uh, unanimously approved dispensary in Sacramento, the first just a handful um, that were licensed in, in that area. And um, he incrementally grew this kind of empire to uh, multiple uh, dispensaries, um, indoor, outdoor, and greenhouse grows, distribution arm, sales, marketing, everything, the whole, so we're vertically integrated all throughout California. Um, you know, he was already doing the tens of, in tens of millions of dollars in revenue when I met him. And I like to say I learned everything I needed to learn about Connected in the first 30 seconds when I found out that he had been uh, selling out of his flower uh, for years at more than two to two and a half times what everybody else was selling theirs for. So I immediately needed to learn more. Um, and I went from, you know, to be honest, doing a couple of coffees and meet, meeting people, understanding different spaces, companies, and so on, to 80 hours a week in their facilities, talking to their teams, learning everything I possibly could about cannabis, about the industry, about what made what Connected was doing so special and unique. I mean, I, my interest was immediately grabbed 
Um, and so I spent the next several, this was July of 2018 um, that I met Caleb. Um, so things were really ramping up in the space as well. This is California, had just launched legal full, full legalization. Canada had just launched full legal, uh, federal national legalization. Um, the, the industry was really heating up. And I, you know, again, I, I was captivated. I was, I was entranced um, by the space and what was going on with it. Um, you know, and, and so I, um, you know, got involved with the business, started advising in July and by September they were in need of a CEO. So, um, decided to work together with Caleb, come on as CEO and him and I have basically kind of been running the company together ever since. Um, we've added even more tens of millions in revenue. We've been expanding like crazy. Um, we're now the number one, uh, branded flower company in California, um, according to BDS. Uh, so, and we're also the um, highest priced premium uh, flower in California. So you put that together and, and yeah, we really think we have the foundations for um, something incredible and we're working on building the largest premium cannabis company in the world. Wow. I'm just going to take all of that in for a second. Did I mention that he's kind of a big deal from billion, multi-billion dollar tech IPO to the best selling premium flower brand in California, the most important, biggest ca cannabis market in the world? Amazing. So we're, I, I, we're, we're just getting started. We're just getting started. This is the very, 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 very beginning of this industry, of this company. Um, it's extremely early days. Um, yeah, it's a very exciting time right now. Awesome. Well, I, I want to ask you some follow-up questions there about that origin story. Cause I'm curious, where did you guys meet? How did you guys meet? And then hmm. my, my other question hmm. is you mentioned going from just kind of coffees and questions to 80 hours a week. And I'm curious if you at that point, when you started doing the 80 hours a week, did you already have some kind of formal association with the company? Did you invest in it? Were you, or, or were you just like, Hey, I, I gotta, I gotta be here. And they were like, sure. You know, how did that work? Yeah. Yeah. Great question. I mean, it was very fortuitous. I met one of Caleb's partners basically at a nightclub for lack of a better you know term like you know we, we met there and then i learned about you know they were already a dominant force in california um and i and i went to dinner with uh caleb's partner nate a few times and just very early on this is back in 2016 2017 and i kept ending the dinners being like god that'd be a cool business to get involved in but it wasn't until uh, mid 2018, when I had basically been on leave from Box and was looking for my next thing, that um, I decided to kind of network in further into the company and met Caleb, who um, was responsible for a lot of the operations at that point. Um, and so that, and then you know, Caleb and I just met at a at a bar in in, in San Francisco along with Nate and, and one of the other partners, Luke, and. Um, I mean, you know, very quickly did things become like, like did, did it, did it kind of dawn on me and uh, a friend of mine who became an advisor of ours, um, Jahan, uh, it very quickly dawned on us like, oh, there's something very special here. And so again, went from, yeah, zero to hundred real quick. Uh, and yeah, like there was no formal arrangement for months um many months because the company was still kind of consolidating that was a big big one of the big first projects we did was consolidate the company into a much more traditional and investor friendly uh corporate structure with a lot of especially the best cannabis companies the one putting ones putting out the most interesting product products tend to be uh products of um years of building fragmented LLCs and deals and especially a lot of handshake deals. Uh, it's just the history of the space. Nobody in 2013, for example, was imagining that their cannabis company is going to go public. Like that was just a, a fantasy that could have been decades, decades out at that point. Um, and so in 2018, when all that came up, it was like, oh, well, we want to be positioned to be 
you know, the next Diageo, LVMH, you know, um, uh, uh, Apple, Tesla, like, like dominant consumer brand um, in this space. And to do that, you know, you tend to need to raise money and you need to be able to give valuable equity to your employees. We give um, every full-time employee at Connected uh, gets equity in the company. Um, and that's a really important principle for us um, because we want, I mean, if you're going to, you know, be in this phase of the industry, um, you, you should be able to participate in, in, uh, in the uh, outcome, basically. Right. So, um, yeah, so that's how I met, you know, that's how I really started talking to Caleb and, and, and yeah, it, it became, it took a long time to become formal, but we just, Caleb and I especially built a very deep relationship of, of trust. And I, I was willing to work, you know, essentially for, for free for like a long time, um, because I knew that, you know, this was, um, you know, this was worth it. Basically, there was something really magical here then that I was confident I could bring a lot of value to what they were already doing. You know, I, I quickly kind of reached the conclusion that, um, you know, it, it made sense to, to work with a company that accomplished what they had accomplished versus try to do it from scratch. So. Awesome. All right. I love that. I want to highlight that for a second for, for the viewers that the fact that you were willing to work for free, and to kind of pay, pay your dues, so to speak, you know, even after coming off of, you know, this multi-billion dollar high profile tech IPO, ha having the humility to say, hey, I'm going to roll up my sleeves. I want to be a part of this. I, I want to get involved. I'm willing to put in some sweat equity here. You know, I, I think that speaks volumes and it's something that I encourage any entrepreneur or potential investor in this space. I, I even say it. In my book, The Cannabis Business Book, which if you want to go check it out, it's on Amazon. And if you like the sound of my voice, you could get the audio book that's out now too. But I encourage everyone to get into this industry and prove your commitment, whether that's through advocacy or activism, or just show people that have paved the way, that have put in the groundwork, the blood, sweat, and tears, that you're willing to, to do it because you care about it and because you believe in it and not just because you see an opportunity to make money. So I, I just wanted to highlight that for a moment. And then I, I want to go back to, yeah. oh, if you want to respond. I'll, even, I'll even comment on that for a second. Uh, you know, just to be clear, you know, I, I was upfront just to prevent miscommunication down the line and prevent like a bait and switch. I was upfront about my eventual compensation expectations, especially where I had to come on um, as CEO, like here's what I'd be looking for. But that said, yes, for months, I worked without anything in paper. And I spent, I mean, dozens of hours a week on the project and on the company um, without any, any kind of compensation. And, you know, to some extent, I was, I was fortunate to be in that position. But like you're saying, I could have also demanded all kinds of things, right? Um, but I came in and I put in that effort. Um, and then even when we had, you know, eventually something in writing, it was more for the sake of agreeing on deal terms rather than getting the deal actually done, right? I didn't like demand equity before I had put in any sort of, you know, worker value or things like that. So, but yeah, especially for people new to this space and new to this industry, you know, I, I, I'm, my, I imagine a lot of people, you know, listening to this podcast or looking to get in the industry, looking to be an entrepreneur in the space or get involved, you know, may wonder like, Sometimes some people may wonder, what do I have to offer, right? How can I get people's time? How can I get the time to, you know, pick their brain or, or get an opportunity, you know, and, um, you know, having that humility, like the, the one thing that ever, that a lot of people that, that you have as an asset or anyone has an asset is time more than anything else, right? You may not have work experience, you may not have, you know, ability to invest financially, but if you have the asset of time, you can provide value, right? And by providing value, you can open the door to opportunities. So you really, the number one thing that can get in your way in that kind of situation is ego. And you definitely want to set that aside. Like there's no place for it in entrepreneurship and business. It's a waste of time and energy. It drags down everybody around you. Like, you know, you, you really want to focus on what value can I provide? How can I make whatever I want to be involved in better and have a degree of faith and trust and confidence in yourself that 
you know, um, you'll be able to, to, to eventually, you know, to derive returns from that. I love that. And I, I just want to add that, you know, for, for those people wondering, how do I fit in? How do I get into this? What, what do I bring to this? You all have skills to offer. And there's someone who's already active in the industry that needs your skill set. It's just a matter of, like Sam said, showing up and putting in that time and being willing. And often that's how you get started. And then where you go from there will certainly evolve and you'll go in different directions and, and whatnot. But, you know, at least half the battle is just showing up. And I, I want to go back to, to take the, the counterpoint for a second, because I don't want to tell anyone, you know, go work for free and don't get anything in writing and don't, don't expose yourself in that way. Obviously, as Sam said, he, he set the expectation up front of, hey, you know, eventually this is what I'm looking for. So don't just go out there and, you know, put in a bunch of time without, you know, at least setting the expectation with the other side that, hey, uh, eventually I'm going to want something back here. Or here's my expectation. So, yeah, it's a it's a fine line. It's a fine line, absolutely, between advocating for yourself and you know putting yourself out there when it when it behooves you. The the important thing is don't let kind of the ego be the deciding factor is the main thing. So um, if you find a team or a company or a project you really believe in you know, offer to contribute again. Yeah. Be upfront, be transparent. Don't, don't let yourself get taken advantage of. There are some shady people in this industry, right? If they're like, Oh, don't worry about that. We'll talk about, you know, the comp or, or compensation or how you could be involved later on. Don't worry about that. Like if you're getting red flags, like don't pursue it blindly, you know, this is, this is kind of a nuanced topic, but at a high level, you know, the more, um, the more you can, uh, contribute and demonstrate your value, you're going to get a lot of benefits from that. So I, I want to shift gears, Sam. And uh, I once upon a time was a Googler myself and have some experience with how Silicon Valley is different from the cannabis industry. But I would love to hear from your perspective, given that you've really been at the highest level of both. Were there any surprises? Were there any you know, anything that you really love about cannabis that Silicon Valley didn't offer. And, you know, my, my last thing, I'll, I'll just say, one of my frustrations working in tech was that everyone had this story of we're doing so much good for the world and we're making such a big difference. And I remember when I started telling my tech friends about cannabis and I was like, Hey, like, here's a opportunity to make such a huge difference in the world. It, you know, years ago, it was falling on deaf ears. So I'm, I'm curious if you can share with me, you know, what's the mindset there like these days about, you know, how, how are people in the tech world viewing cannabis? So you're, are you asking more like my perspective being in cannabis and how that compares to my perspective in tech? Or you're saying uh, more the relationship between tech and cannabis? So uh, both. I mean, I think from from my perspective, the big similarity between both is it feels like we're at the beginning of something big. When you're inside either, like tech in the early days or or this in the early days, the 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 TAM, right? The total addressable market, like the the maximum theoretical growth you can achieve in the industry or space or field that you're in um, feels overwhelmingly enormous and that's incredibly motivating because it's like we can do so many things like there's no you know zero-sum game there's no oh we're gonna get cut off by a competitor and we're gonna lose like there's so much to win here that um i think that's that's really motivating and inspiring and feels very similar to tech um especially in the early days um you know, whereas now sometimes tech feels a bit like, you know, it's pretty much through and through and, you know, everything's been invented, although, you know, we're continuing to see these amazing uh, companies get created and, and get an exit um, for pretty fantastic valuations, which is great. Um, and there is a lot of space left, but in, in, in tech, obviously, but in cannabis right now, it feels very new. It feels very exciting. Um, I think tech to cannabis, you know, I think the federal illegality is still preventing a lot of practical 
engagement because most of tech it looks at, at cannabis mostly as you know um you know opportunity for either investment or for or for joining but like i would say a combination of the federal illegality and like the regulatory hurdles like how strictly regulated it is are two probably big deterrents typically on the tech side um and they are major headwinds but you know my my perspective is consistently that like you know the companies growing and achieving you know great success and great market share and great product market fit and, and all that right now um in the face of these headwinds are going to be so much further ahead um everybody else when it finally does legalize and and it's really really hard to build a great a great cannabis company so um yeah there's a lot of value there but i think my sense is those two things are kind of are deterrents to some extent for a lot of the tech space got it um so i want to ask you you know, I, I heard you say earlier that you you were wondering where am I going to invest for the next ten years, essentially. Which you know, if you're listening to this show, ask yourself that question and you know, brainstorm, on, meditate on that for for a little while and and see if you have a good answer. But I, I'm curious to look ten years ahead. What do you foresee for the cannabis industry? What do, you, what do you think? Yeah, yeah, I'll leave it there. What, what, where do you imagine the industry will be and what will cannabis commerce look like 10 years from now? Well, I think our fundamental vision is that the product today, um, I think there's a bit of a disconnect between the culture of the product inside of, of cannabis culture and the culture of the product from kind of the more Wall Street or the companies that have gone public or the big MSOs perspective, where I think cannabis is, is heavily, heavily taste-driven. And I think that's deeply underappreciated throughout most of, again, the, the newly legalized markets, especially outside of California, maybe a few other select markets. But, you know, for where, the cannabis culture is deepest, which I would say is California currently internationally. Um, you know, you see so much kind of tiering in terms of um, in terms of quality of product, type of product, the strains, the way it's grown. Um, you know, you can walk into a dispensary in California, and you can often find an eighth of of flour for 15 bucks. Um, if you walk in during a sale or on, on, a, on a value day, like you can easily find with 15 bucks. Um, you can also buy any of the cannabis for $100 out the door, um, all taxes and everything included. And so, you know, and we have people regularly and consistently buying our product at those prices. So the point I'm just trying to make is like, there is huge taste and value and differentiation quality in cannabis that I think you know, me coming into the cannabis space in, in 2018, fairly recently, did not understand and did not appreciate. And I think still, again, a lot of the, the MSOs or the bigger companies, the companies measured in hundreds of millions or billions of, of market cap, don't, don't get that. And so I think that's going to get deeper, more evolved, more established. I think in 10 years, you're going to see, you know, small A type programs. You're going to see a lot of sophistication, research, R&D cannabis products we don't we can't even imagine today you know there's so much more you can do with cannabis than something like alcohol alcohol evaporates right you can't bake with alcohol but you can bake you can create you know edibles you can create you know dozens of different ways to consume um and i think the research is still on the very cutting edge right now so um and then just yeah the the the, the terpene profiles the 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 quality the yield the all these different things the nug structure the look like i think we're just at the beginning of what what cannabis can do what cannabis can show us so you know my i mean you, you can take a lot of different uh types of worldviews on where cannabis will be you can look at it in market cap or you know uh, uh revenue or um you know number of companies is that my my angle on it is very product centric and product focused. And I think that's where we'll end up similar to, um, you know, high end whiskeys or, 
um, you know, even like very hyped uh, fashion drops or music drops. Um, I think a lot of those elements will be major pieces of Canvas branding, more so than they are for uh, like, let's say Spirits CPG. Forgive me if this is an offensive question, but I, I'm just curious, before you got into the industry, what was your relationship with cannabis like? Oh yeah, no, not offensive at all. I mean, it was very mild, I suppose. Um, I was probably consuming every couple months. I mean, pretty infrequently. Um, and I was drinking alcohol probably a lot more, um, like maybe a couple times a week. Um, and since actually that's probably almost directly flipped, um, I probably consume cannabis a couple times a week and alcohol once every couple months. And, uh, my, my relationship with alcohol has radically changed. I I'll, I'll drink it down. I'll just be like, why am I doing this <laughs> to be totally honest? I mean, so like, you know, wine and stuff, but, but, you know, uh, a couple shots in, you're like, this is just a, uh, meaningfully less enjoyable and sustainable experience than, than enjoying cannabis. So. Yeah, certainly. I'm with you on that. So let me ask you, what's the state of California like these days? I, I think it's, it's definitely by far the most evolved market. And I actually think it'll be most, it's currently like most representative of where most markets will end up, which is that, you know, brands matter, genetics matter, quality matters. Um, you know, people can tell what products are good and what products aren't. Um, you know, again, that kind of taste-driven industry, I think really exists in California and will spread, um, you know, to other markets uh, that aren't already there. Gotcha. And then I'm curious, what motivates you? Like what drives you to, to work so hard to grow this thing? I mean, I think it was like I was saying earlier, like a lot of it's the size of the opportunity, right? Like, like, can you really name another industry that has uh, tens of billions of dollars of growth ahead of it in the immediate term that there is an opportunity to win? I mean, to like own the entire premium category. Like, you know, I, I think that's insanely motivating. I, I don't know of another company in the world that's doing our level and quality of cannabis at our scale. I don't think I, I've, you know, I'm on calls every day learning about new companies and, and uh, I haven't seen another one. So to me, that means we're the furthest ahead. And, and every day we got, we have a, one of our company values is relentless pursuit where it's never enough. We, we can't say for the moment we stop, somebody will overtake us. So we deeply foster a culture of, of intense paranoia around our product and always pushing to make it better and, and never allowing to, to just kind of rest on our laurels and get complacent. But that said, if you objectively assess the market right now, um, you know, I, I see us as pretty far in the lead in terms of the kind of product we're producing. So, um, you know, that's insanely motivating. I mean, we have a chance to really win uh, this space um, altogether. So. Awesome. So I'm, I'm hearing that the, the driving force is winning and being able to, to be number one, essentially. Yeah. I mean, I mean, look like that's just, that's, that's not really why we're doing it. Right. That's like a, a, a proxy for what we actually accomplished, which is like defining what premium cannabis is again and again and again. Right. Our, our mission as a company is to continually revolutionize the cannabis space. So, um, I mean, winning is exciting, but it's only because like we're going to be able to do things for con cannabis consumers that they, they never been able to see or experience or get access to before. So, I mean, fundamentally, it's like making great products. Winning is just, again, a byproduct of like just making, you know, really, really great products again and again and again at larger and larger scale with higher and higher quality and more and more innovation. I mean, that's, it's pretty cool. Awesome. And I would agree with you. I even put it in the book that cannabis is the most exciting opportunity since the birth of the internet, as far as entrepreneurship goes. And I stand by yeah. it. So, Oh yeah, that, I completely agree with that. Nice. 
I love when successful, more experienced people agree with me <laughs> and validate my beliefs. Yes. <laughs> so thank you. Uh, Sam, what are you most excited about right now? I mean, I can sense given some of the answers you've given me here, but I'm curious if there's like any any product or innovation or something you guys are working on that you're able to share that you're especially excited about? At this point, I would say it's the bootstrapping and launching of our, our, our internal R&D programs. We already have a lot of R&D around genetics and some basic R&D around cultivation techniques, which have already produced incredible results. But we, uh, about a year and change ago, hired um, uh, a gentleman, Ian Justice, who was one of the leading plant scientists at Driscoll's, which is the largest berry producer in the world. And they specialize in genetics development. And just, just to give you an idea, you know, in cannabis, we're usually doing maybe six to 12 month breeding trials. Um, and then you have another six to 12 months before production. Um, but at Driscoll's, they're doing seven year breeding trials. So that gives you a sense of like still how far cannabis has to go in terms of sophistication and technology and to reach the edge of what ag is doing in other spaces. And we are, I think, uh, you know, going to end up with at the end of this year, an R&D uh, develop, development team that includes post-harvest research, um, geneticists, and a number of other components that is going to enable us to like reinvent flower again. Um, so that's what I'm, that's, I think that's crazy exciting. We're talking about it now, like almost on a weekly basis of how do we find the best talent in the world who are going to be able to, um, you know, kind of have the, the humility to come into a space where there's a lot of things they don't know, but have a ton of experience with, um, agricultural research that they can bring to the table as well. Oh, sweet. I look forward to trying that product one day. <laughs> Me too. <laughs> um, I, I wanted to ask you a question that now slips my mind. So now I'll, I'll just go to a different question, <laughs> which sure. is what advice do you have for people that want to get into this industry, whether as entrepreneurs or investors? It's really hard. <laughs> it's really hard. It's the, the knowledge base is shockingly deep. Um, like it's not a two-year-old industry. It's a at least 15 to 20-year-old industry, maybe 30, 40 years if you really, you know, go back. In terms of how much advancement and time and energy and knowledge has been put into the various products and the markets and the tastes and all that. So um, I think you know, try and find the people who really do understand this space. Um, there's a lot of, I guess, quote unquote, like business people who are just trying to create something from scratch. Um, you know, that was a big part of my decision to come into Connected specifically as kind of an existing, you know, dominant force versus start um, my own thing from scratch in a sense. Um, so don't, I think, I think people also generally are, are, are really interested in, in, in talking. So just reach out to as many sources as possible, try and get, you know, different contradicting sources of information that you can cross-reference and synthesize. Um, there's a lot to learn, I think. And if you think, you know, if after a, a few weeks or even a few months, you kind of have a really solid understanding, you probably don't. So just keep learning, keep asking questions, keep digging for answers. Um, there's a lot of raw material in this space to, to absorb and understand, to start making like good sound business decisions. Yeah, I hear that. I'm about six years in and I feel like I don't know anything yet. <laughs> uh, I remembered my question though for you, Sam, which is what's something that most people believe is true about building a cannabis brand or even cultivating high-end top shelf flower that you know is not actually true? From my perspective, growing truly 
high quality cannabis is super, super, super hard. It's super hard. And the reason is that in the every growing cycle, first you have to start with great genetics, which are not necessarily easy to come by, especially genetics that are unique or proprietary to you or your company or your brand. It's very hard to do, to, to consistently grow. I mean, it takes two years um, to go from conceiving of a strain cross to like consistent commercial you know, production yields if you're doing it right. Um, if you're actually so like planting and selecting for, you know, the best of the best phenotypes. Um, and so, uh, you know, start, you have to start with great genetics. And then once you have great genetics, um, you, you know, for every harvest and there's, you know, up to five, if not six harvests a year, um, you know, you have to nail every variable every time. I mean, a lot for the highest end flower, you're generally doing indoor cultivation and with indoor cultivation, you know, you, you are nature, you are, you, you control every single variable. So there's so much control. I mean, we've had even situations where the temperature of the nutrient like solution, not the temperature of the room, but the temperature of the nutrient solution can affect the quality when you're, when you're at the highest levels. You know, not when you're growing $1,500, $2,000 pound, you know, just like whatever uh, indoor flower that's just generic and what everybody else is growing. That's, you know, most people aren't tracking things like that. But for us, you know, there, there are dozens of variables in every single harvest. And you have to nail every single one every single time. And the minute you don't, boom, you've cut your cost per pound in half um, that you can sell for. So, uh, or your, your revenue per pound, I guess. So that I think is, is hugely underrated. Um, the sheer amount of talent and experience required to grow a great quality product. Okay, cool. Is there a piece of either cultivation tech or you know, maybe even just software that you wish existed in the cannabis world that doesn't yet? Yes, <laughs> it's a short answer. Um, you know, the state of the world is definitely improving aggressively, but generally the, the suite of software available to run and optimize a cannabis company doesn't compare to solutions for manufacturing or more traditional consumer goods. Um, there's two big reasons for that. One is a lot of companies are still hesitant to get even involved in cannabis, again, because of the federal prohibition, which, you know, creates liability for a lot of really big existing companies to tap into the space. And then the second is there's a lot of integration that needs to happen with, uh, especially in California, with the state mandated track and trace, um, you know, system, uh, which is a challenge to integrate with technologically. So um, there's not a lot of software that, that plays really well, as well as you'd want it to. So the ability to automate and make things more efficient and quickly deploy things is, is definitely hampered because of that. Gotcha. All right. And then I'll ask you maybe my last question, but maybe not. We'll, we'll call this the coaching portion today and I'm not going to coach you. I'm going to ask you for something that I, I'm just trying to get a better handle of, which is when you're experiencing rapid growth or even approaching that point where you know it's coming, how do you prioritize when there's so many things to choose from? How do you prioritize and focus in? I'm asking for a friend. How would you go about that? <laughs> yeah, no, it's actually really hard in a space like cannabis when there are so many opportunities to be successful. Um, you know, there, there is a lot of ground cover, a lot of, a lot of open space, you know, greenfield like ability um, to establish business. So it is a real challenge. I, the litmus test I usually apply um, is like, what makes sense five or 10 years from now? Like what kind of company makes sense? Does it make sense to have a company that's in like six different disjointed fields? Like, is that common? Is that likely? Um, and the answer is usually no. So, you know, I believe companies that are really successful in hyper growth have a core competency that they are the best in the world at, right? That nobody can beat them at. And you have to decide what that competency is and then uh, pursue it relentlessly 
and kind of potentially put even put on blinders to other opportunities that are good ROI positive opportunities, but it just doesn't make sense, right? Like, you know, we had the opportunity to enter the distillate cart market um, and leverage our brands to sell a lot of distillate carts, but it kind of went against our core ethos of product and brand first, because distillate carts, you know, in our opinion, are kind of the, the lower end of the types of cannabis products you can consume. Um, you know, they, they can provide a good value, but they're not providing, you know, a holistic, true cannabis experience, especially one influenced by the flower itself. So, you know, we struggled with that for a bit. Should we get into that space or not? There's a lot of opportunity in that space, um, a lot of potential revenue. But, you know, again, you fast forward that out. Do we want our company to be just a kind of almost hodgepodge of different cannabis brands and different spaces with different purposes and visions and ideals? Or do we decide what we're going to be best in the world at, which is the best cannabis product in the world? Um, so we're going to pursue that with relentless focus. That's doesn't make it easier. In fact, it makes it harder because you have fewer different ways of making money, but the rewards for that are much greater. Maybe you end up doing the inverse, right? Which is you decide you're going to be a great value brand, right? You're going to just be a great bang for your buck. Um, you're going to invest tremendously in, in increasing gross margin and um, driving efficiencies and driving, you know, a, a great, uh, you know, value, you know, experience per dollar for your consumers. And that's what your company's oriented around and focused on. That's what it stands for, right? That's the purpose, the mission, the vision. And so if it's that, then that, that can drive a lot of clarity. So, it, you know, if you're worrying too much, how much money can I make in the next one month, three months, six months, 12 months, you're probably going to end up all over the place, out of focus, and you're going to hamper your growth tremendously. Um, but if you decide, okay, what, what can I bring to the table? What do I care about? What, you know, do the assets I have in front of me, whether it's my own skills, the real estate, this, that, what can I do? And what am I pumped and excited and motivated to do, right? Like, I, like we were talking earlier about like winning, like being motivating, but really it comes down to like, again, if, if, if our company wasn't in a position to do the most interesting things in the world with cannabis, my motivation level would go down quite significantly. You know, it's not just about being number one, it's about like, how do you get there? And why are you there? And what, what makes you the most, you know, valuable asset at that, at that, in that position. Oh, awesome. That was so helpful for me. And I love the question of what do you want to be the best in the world at and letting that yeah. be kind of the, the focusing or guiding question. That's fantastic. It's a, it's a good question for your company and for yourself, right? It's like, what, what's your world, what skill set are you world-class at? Um, you know, and if you can answer that, you will find, you'll be a puzzle piece that will fit into a puzzle somewhere, you know? Um, and same with the company. Like if you can say, this is what we win at. We don't do a bunch of things medium well. Nobody wants to invest in that company. Nobody wants to join that company, right? You're doing a bunch of things like at an okay level because everyone else who specializes in that thing will be you. You know, I mean, one of the other things you can bring over from the tech space in terms of lessons is like, you know, there was this whole period of time in the mid 2000s where every single company would go into a VC pitch, uh, maybe a little hyperbolic, but most companies would go into their VC pitches and the VCs would be like, well, Google's just going to do that and crush you, right? And like, well, Google or, or, or um, you know, uh, I mean, Google is really the, the dominant, dominant, like more than Amazon, more than anybody else, right? So Google will just do it, right? And like, there were so many technology companies who faced years of headwinds. It was like, well, Google can do that, right? And like, it just proved false in almost every single category, which the raft of IPOs you've seen in the last couple of years in tech that have been so explosive are all companies started during that period who kind of issued that kind of, you know, mentality. So um, you can always win if you're best in the world at something or world-class or like fully focused on, on some specific strategy or goal. Like you have the best shot at achieving your maximum potential. Yeah, certainly. And if you are the best in the world at something, whatever it is, there's going to be a demand for your service because everyone wants the best or not everyone, but oftentimes, 
you know, people do want the best. Uh, Sam, yeah. let me ask you, do you have any favorite books or, or books that have really influenced your, your approach to life or business that you would recommend? Yeah. Um, I think probably my number one book I've, I've always recommended and will continue to consistently recommend uh, is around, you know, probably one of the areas I've personally had the most development in um, or kind of, I guess, struggled the most or, or, or worked on the most on myself, um, which is kind of interpersonal communication and, and, and relationship building and interaction. Um, and that's a book called Crucial Conversations which I uh, head over heels love, will recommend every day of the week. Um, it walks through example after example of, of situations you'll just instantly be familiar with where things get tense or difficult or, you know, it kind of walks you through the, what they call, I think the fool's choice, which is if you have an issue with somebody, your choices are either, you know, make a fuss and potentially damage the relationship or, um, you know, uh, uh, be seen as a squeaky wheel or, or someone who's, you know, not a team player or something like that, or stay silent and not be able to give that opportunity to the person to either improve or the strategy to improve or to make a better decision or whatever it is. And uh, most people get stuck between those two. And there's this like third middle path of like constructively and, you know, with a, with a positive orientation, like bring the issue up without again, like ego involved or things like that. And like make progress. And it's, it's actually a very hard skill. Maybe one of the hardest I've worked on um, for myself. And like, again, a big development area for me, but uh, the dividends are, are enormous. So anyone who may be struggling with that kind of thing, personal relationships, professional relationships across the board, um, crucial conversations was, uh, really impactful for me. Awesome. I love that. I'll check that out. I don't know that one. All right. I have, uh, maybe two more questions now. I'm sorry. I just, I'm, I'm fascinated. Sure, sure, so sure. I keep thinking of more, what's the best investment you've ever made? And it doesn't have to be financial. It could be of time or it could be a relationship or whatever. What comes to mind for you? The initial thing that just popped in my head was my initial investment of time and energy into Connected has paid off wonderfully, um, just in terms of being involved in this really incredible company and, and being part of this journey. Um, yeah, I really, I really wanted to devote myself coming out of box into something that was going to be really, really big and impactful and uh, spending a bunch of time and energy with the company and the team up front. Um, just getting to know them and learn the business and all that was, was a wonderful, like really enjoyable investment. Awesome. And then what's your highest power that's allowed you to be successful? What I've heard, and I mean, that's always a tricky one to answer, but what I've, what I've been told is uh, my ability to listen to and accept feedback Um you know, it's something I, I always strive towards. And, I, you know, again, I, I get I try to get better every day on it. Um, but yeah, like if, if someone's delivering feedback to you, and that's like a kind of a formal way of putting it, basically, if they're telling you something they think you're wrong about, or something you did that they didn't like, or whatever, you need to, uh, your, your initial reaction is going to be defensive, um, explain why all the reasons why that person's wrong. Uh, it probably get a little emotional, um, huffy and puffy, and you'll probably discourage that person from ever giving you that gift of, of feedback of, of illuminating for you what you don't know, you don't know ever again, which is a huge, huge disadvantage to put yourself at. So something I've, I've tried to work a lot on is creating an environment. I wasn't always good at it but creating an environment where someone's giving you feedback immediately, you have to kind of snap yourself into a kind of welcoming and comfortable environment for the person giving you the feedback and be like, okay, like you have to really listen, be open-minded, be inquisitive, ask questions, learn more about it. If you can master that, you're going to dramatically change your ceiling in terms of potential. Um, yeah, because you'll actually be able to learn from what other people, you know, how other people perceive you, which is a whole angle you don't have as yourself, right? You only have your own first person view as yourself. So if other people don't tell you how you, you know, came off in a meeting 
uh, or, you know, how you being really stubborn about something is affecting them or other people um, or the business, right? Or this or that, whatever it is, you can feedback about a hundred different things. If you're not regularly getting that, embracing it and trying to change, you're just going to be in the same old, same old uh, patterns and routines. Um, and you're never really going to get to that next level. Absolutely. I love that. Because first you, you talked about kind of the crucial conversations and giving that feedback, which is totally an art and a skill. And now you're talking about the other side of that coin, which is receiving that feedback, which also definitely takes some practice. Probably more important of a skill. Yeah. Are, yeah. In the grand scheme of things, it's a more important skill because you can give feedback all day long, but if nobody either has a good trusting relationship with you or believes you or is telling you what they really think, you're just gonna be talking to a wall, you know? So it's not, you know, the more important, they're both critically important to, you know, continually advance and improve in business, but the more important skill is um, definitely uh, receiving feedback and receiving it well. Absolutely. And to that point, I'll, I'll wrap us up with this, that the highest performers in any craft or discipline, not only are they great at receiving feedback, but they actively seek it out because they yeah. realize to Sam's point that that's the way you improve. That's the way you uncover the blind spots. And that's why the, the Kobe Bryant's and LeBron James's of the world or whoever their equivalents are in, in business have multiple coaches, multiple advisors, multiple mentors. It's so that they can get that feedback all the time so they can put it to work and improve. That's my, my uh, not so subtle plug for yeah. coaching for everyone listening. <laughs> Sam, no, I totally agree. Sam, I want to thank you so much. It's been a real pleasure to chat with you today and to, to hear some of your story. And I appreciate you for taking the time out to, to be here today. And before I let you go, I wanted to give you the opportunity to uh, make any closing remarks if you wish. No, this has been great. Um, really great questions. Really enjoyed uh, chatting with you today. Um, hopefully people listening got, got something out of it. Um, I mean, all I would say is if anything I've said uh, excites you, like uh, reach out, <laughs> reach out to us. And uh, if you want to join us on the journey, like we've got a lot of really, really cool things working on and, and in the pipeline. And uh, we need um, great talent uh, to help us accomplish all the you know dreams and visions we have. Awesome. Well, Sam, thank you so much, man. It's been a pleasure. And for the folks listening, try try that product, try that connected cannabis if, if you can, because I can tell you it really is a treat. Hi, Mike Z is. Hi, Mike Z is. Hi, Mike Z is the cannabis business coach. Hi, Mike Z is. Hi, Mike Z is. Hi, Mike Z is the cannabis business coach.